I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. So if you'll join me in prayer. Holy and living God, you live among us. You came and you dwelled with us and you planted seeds throughout the earth so that we might be a fruitful people. God, come into this space now and come into these words and they may, may they be a seed that find root in our hearts and fruit in our lives. God, be with us this day and always. In your son's name we pray, amen. So in case you missed it last week, we are in a new series, uh, a Thanksgiving series, really kind of Thanksgiving themed, um, called Soil and Seed. And it's an appropriate series for us to be in, not be- just because it's Thanksgiving, because this series is also all about planting. And we, as a church, are in a season of planting. As we mentioned before, we're launching First Table on Saturday night, a new worshiping community that will meet on Saturday nights to meet new people and to reach new people who are in the community on Saturday evenings in this area. And so it's appropriate that we would look at what it means to plant and what it means to be soil and what it means to be seed. And if you were here last week, you know that we talked a little bit about good soil And we talked about that in light of All Saints Day, saying that good soil is fruitful soil, it's rich soil, and that soil is enriched by the people who have lived and died in our lives, who have passed down their richness to us, but also by the people who live and work through us and in us each and every week. Those are the saints that are still here that are sitting in these rows. We're going to look a little bit today, uh, again, at the parable that we talked about last week. The parable was the parable of the sower. It was one that you've probably heard before. Um, If you haven't heard it before, let me give you a little bit of a recap of what it is. Jesus is teaching this parable, and he's saying uh, to the people that are following him, there was a man that once had seeds. He was a sower, and he threw seeds everywhere. And some of the seeds that he threw landed on kind of a beaten down path that was just dirt. There was no way that they were going to grow. And then he threw some seeds on rock, and occasionally those sprung up a little bit, but they didn't get that far. And then there were some times when he threw seeds in the briar patch, and eventually the briars choked out the good seed and the seedlings. But then there was this good soil where the sower threw seeds. And the good soil embraced the seeds, and the seeds began to grow. And not only did they grow, but they grew a a hundredfold over. Jesus teaches this parable to a people who are interested in in what it means to follow Jesus. We've talked about parables a lot this year. A couple months ago, we did a series all, we we did the wait, what series on uh, parables. And Jesus typically doesn't explain his parables, but this one he does. This one he explains it right after he says it. He says that the seed is God's word and we are the soil. And when we hear God's word, when it is thrown into our soil, we are to be people who can nurture that seed so that it blooms and it produces a hundredfold over. It's a pretty bold thing for us. Good soil scatters good seed, and we're called to be good soil, but we're also called to scatter good seed. So in this second week of this sermon series, uh, this Thanksgiving series, we're going to switch from soil, and now we're going to look at the second part, which is seed. And we're going to figure out what it means to be a people, especially in this season right now at First Carry and at First on Chatham and at First Table, what it means to be people who scatter seeds abundantly. 
The passage I want us to consider, we're going to keep that parable of the sower in the back of our head, but I I do want to come to a different passage of Scripture. Um, This is one that you are probably familiar with. Um, If you aren't, you at least know the general nature of this story. This is the creation story. We're going to go right back to the very beginning of Scripture, to Genesis 1, and we're going to look at Genesis 1, verses 9 through 13, and I'm going to actually read today from the Common English Bible. Um, That's one that we use fairly often in the United Methodist Church. So here now for the word of God. This is 9 through 13. God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he named the gathered waters seas. And God saw how good it was. And then God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind, and God saw how good it was. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. You notice that there's a lot of mention of seeds. Seeds, this is only four passages of Scripture, and yet seeds is mentioned multiple times. I think when we read the creation story, we sometimes forget the whole seeds part. We forget that, like, there was actually a cycle for this. There's something more to it beyond just the fruit that was there. When I think about seeds, I'm reminded of growing up in Smithfield. Um, We lived in a house for one year that had a grapevine throughout the entire backyard. That grapevine kind of overtook our entire backyard as well. It just kept growing, and the vines kept going everywhere. And it was a grapevine of muscadine grapes. I don't know if you have had muscadine grapes before. Um, For those of you who are adults, you're kind of nodding your head. For those of you who are kids, you're like, I'm not touching them. Um, I get it. Because as a kid, I hated muscadine grapes. I thought they were disgusting because they're not what I was expecting. I was expecting those purple grapes. Or the green grapes, the good stuff. Not these disgusting muscadine grapes that you had, like the thick skin that you put in your mouth and you peel the skin off and then you spit out the seeds and you chew it. They're an acquired taste. And as a five-year-old, five-year-old or six-year-old, I didn't want anything to do with them. They're terrible. And the worst part of it is that because we had a grapevine in our backyard, never once did my mom buy grapes, like, like the, the ones that I wanted. <laughs> There was no point in buying grapes. We already produced them in the backyard. So my family was stuck with muscadine grapes for a year of my life, informative years at five years old when kids should be eating grapes every day. I was stuck with muscadines. It was absolutely disgusting. I much preferred seedless grapes. Seedless grapes are the best. And Seedless grapes, eventually I discovered that there was seedless watermelon, which was even better. The idea that you can chew through watermelon and not have to worry about spitting anything out. Seedless fruit is amazing. It's awesome. It's so convenient. I mean, if you've had it before, you know it's less messy to eat. You, just, you don't have to worry about spitting things. It's more kind of attractive to eat because you're, again, not spitting things out. There's less risk to it. You don't have to worry about swallowing seeds. It's really just a more convenient, a prettier, an easier way to eat. It's an easier type of fruit. The interesting thing about seedless uh, food is that 
there are only really a few naturally occurring strands of seedless grapes. I mean, it's kind of evolved over time, but for the most part, they've been designed in labs. They've been modified so that you can have more convenience in your life when eating seedless food. Seedless food is designed with one thing in mind. It's the consumer. It's me. It's making my life easier so that I can consume all that I want so I don't have to worry about the messy parts of fruit or the idea of like what comes next. I can just eat it all up at one time. Seedless fruit is great, but it's not the way the world was intended to be. If you look back at that passage of Scripture, you can see that Jesus is, or the creation story, Jesus isn't talking yet, um, that the creation story uh, talks about fruit being filled with seeds, being filled with new life, being filled with new opportunities. I've got to confess that my greatest fear as a church is that we become a consumer-driven church, a seedless church a church that's only concerned about just consuming all that we can right now. We don't really talk about seeds anymore. If you go to the big box churches, and I'll confess, I went to one when I lived in Atlanta. Um, You go into these churches, these mega churches, and they give you everything that you could possibly want, the best possible version of Christianity. It is amazing sermons that are super engaging. It is uh, childcare where there's like indoor slides to go from the second floor to the first floor. They give you the best possible coffee. They give you free donuts sometimes. They serve 10,000. They pay, they only sing oceans. That's the only thing they sing at these churches is just that song over and over again. They're fan favorites. They're awesome. But they have one thing in mind. The consumer. Right then right there. And there's no talk of seeds. It's becoming a seedless faith. And it's not that we all designed it that way, but kind of the way that sometimes seedless plants just evolve, sometimes seedless faith just evolves too. And my fear right now is that we're on the cusp of that in our churches. Uh, When I was a kid, I had this picture of creation and this picture of the Garden of Eden. You know the story of the Garden of Eden. It was that beautiful place, and there's all the trees. And I, you know, I had a picture. This was where the prettiest possible trees were. I mean, Garden of Eden is all of creation. And at the time before humans screwed it up, it was this beautiful thing where the trees were the perfect tree cover canopy. The fruit was just the perfect colors. They were all wonderful and abundant and ripe. The grass was like a putting green. You just kind of could roll around on it. You could putt easily. I mean, it was perfect. It was a wonderful place to be. Nothing about the Garden of Eden needed to change. Because it was the ideal way that creation was supposed to be. In the Garden of Eden, it was interesting to think, you know, there was, quite frankly, you didn't need seeds in the Garden of Eden because the image that I had of it was that there was nothing that was supposed to be changed about it. It was fully complete. It was done. That was the pinnacle of creation. But that's not true at all. The existence of seeds proves that there's more creation to come, that there are new things that wait, that there is new life beyond just what we can see now. There's fruit among us, but there is more fruit that we have yet to discover. The Garden of Eden was good, creation was good, but it's not done. It's not finished. There's more work to be done. As a church, as first on Chatham, it would be really convenient if we could just stay the same. 
If we could just be this community that meets every week, fills up essentially the both of the services, there's very little room, we're all comfortable, we all know each other, there's nothing more that needs to be done. It would be great if that were to be the case for us. We could pat ourselves on the back and think, when God intended creation, this is it. This is the fullness of what God thought with creation was just two worship services, about 300, 350 people every Sunday meeting on Sunday mornings. But that's not the way it was intended to be. There's more work to be done here. The two services at first on Chatham is not where God intended for us to stop. You know that there's, this has been a rich place. This has been a rich place of growth for a long period of time now. The soil is rich here. And for the past couple of years, it's been like this, where there, almost every seat is taken, at least comfortably so, in two services. And it's been a place where there has been a lot of growth and some opportunity to invite new people. But the reality of it is, is that sometimes when we invite new people, we have to sit in the sunroom upstairs because there's not enough seats here. This is a rich place. God has worked in this area. The people have worked in this area, and it's time to plant something new. And so next Saturday night, we're excited because Colin and his team are planting our uh, sixth worship service as part of First Carry, which will take place at 5.30 on Saturday night. It's been something a long time coming. It's been very exciting, and it proves that we as First Carry are not going to be seedless watermelon. We are not going to be seedless grapes. We are called to be a people who have seeds in us that scatter those seeds and do new things. Boy, it would be convenient if we could just be seedless grapes. It would be nice, but there are seeds here that promise something more, something new. What does that mean for us as, as First on Chatham? Uh, well, first of all, let me just remind you that First Table and First on Chatham are the same thing. We're a family. Their growth is our growth. Their success is our success. This is one church family that grows and that tries to share the gospel, shares the heart of Christ from the heart of Carrie, no matter where we are. And the heart of Carrie right now has a little bit of an uptick in involvement on Saturday nights. And that's who we're called to be. What does that mean look like for us, though, on Sunday mornings? Uh, what that looks like is that you might see that the seats are a little more empty in the next few weeks. Some people will go to first table, and that's awesome. And I'm going to encourage you to go there. I think that you should. It'd be a great way to experience God in new ways. But what that also means for us, not only is Colin planting, not only is that team planting, not only are we planting first table, but there's more opportunity to scatter seeds here. We have more opportunity and more space to invite people, to invite that neighbor that you've been kind of wanting to be like, yeah, you should definitely come. It's a little bit tight. Just forgive us if we make you sit in the sunroom or whatever it might be, or if you have to wait, or if it's on Easter Sunday, the explosion that was Easter You know, there's an opportunity for us to plant more seeds as a result of us here and us making more room for others. Praise God that we're in this exciting season of, of growth. Our soil is rich. The life of this community is rich, and it's time for us to produce a hundredfold. And that means taking the next step. Interestingly, when Jesus is teaching to this parable, the parable of the sower that we talk, talked about, he's talking to a group of people. He wants them to, to be people who scatter seeds collectively. But if you read it closely, you'll find that Jesus is speaking to the individual. 
it's great to think that First on Chatham is doing all the work, that the, the people that are the staff and that Colin and I are the ones that are doing all the work to scatter seeds, but that's not the case at all. All of the fruit of the Garden of Eden, all of the fruit in creation had seeds in it. All of us have seeds in us. So I have to ask you a question. Just to prevent us from becoming this consumerist, seedless faith, do you ha- does your faith have seeds in it? Is your faith one that has something to be shared? Somebody got you into this room. It might have been you, you just grew up in the church and your parents planted the seeds in you. Maybe your grandparents planted those seeds in you. Maybe somebody invited you, a brother, sister, a neighbor, whatever it might be. But there is, there is work. There is the work of God at life and in your life. But God is working through you and in you. Little things. It might be a a major turn in life that happened. Maybe you had a divorce and all of a sudden you found God. Maybe you lost a loved one and you found God. But maybe it was just that little nudge. Maybe it was the little ways that God worked in your life. Instead of that just being something that fills you up, I want you to look at those moments as seeds. Opportunities for you to share that with someone else. Opportunities.